0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, we are live. We're talking essential skills for the modern CTO. Really excited for this one today. We have three fantastic individuals, three fantastic CTOs who are at different stages and have been in different roles and experience, um, but all have that common factor of uh, being that modern CTO and, and, and really uh, undertaking and, and overcoming things to be able to kick on well.
1: Hi everyone. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast.
0: Nice number of people joining, which is excellent. Right, I'll jump straight into it. Welcome to another installment. As I've already covered, we are here today with Esteban, with Ties, with Natasha, to discuss the topic of essential skills for the modern CTO. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Natasha, we're going to start with you. Please kick us off.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah, I'm Natasha Bard. I'm the CTO for KMD, which is quite a big uh, IT company here in Denmark. The long history of developing digital solutions for the Danish public sector, and um, we also focus a lot on energy and utility, and in more recent years, uh, digital finance. Um, before joining KMB three years ago, I spent ten years in the video game industry, and before that, um, in aerospace. So, but what I love about technology is that it, it knows no bounds. So technical problems jump across uh, industries uh, quite easily. Yeah.
0: Fantastic. Uh, It's lovely to have you here today. Uh, Thijs, we're coming to you next.
3: Thanks, Sam. My name is Thijs. I'm the CTO of a software company called Code Solution. We make software for the shipping industry, kind of make a Google Maps on water. And uh, I'm fairly new in the CTO role. I've only been a CTO for four to five
0: months. So uh, I'm pretty new in the game. Fantastic, and we're all at different stages, but I, I'm sure you've got a lot to gain and a lot to give here ties with, with the experience that you have. And last but not least, Esteban, over to you.
1: Thanks. Hi, my name is Esteban Michalowski. Uh, I've been working as a software engineer and solution architect, architect for around uh, 15 years. And now I'm the CTO and interim CEO of uh, AltaPay, which is a payment service provider company that allows merchants to process payments uh, online through our platform. And currently I'm uh, responsible for the technical and the product strategy, uh, making sure that the teams have an actional plan uh, to work on that. And very glad to be here as well.
0: Uh, it's glad to have you back Esteban. It's not, not your first time on the Evolution Exchange podcast and uh, last time was a cracker. And I have no doubt this will be the same. <laughs> But now we've established a context around each of you, let's get into the topic in hand. You all have a question around the essential skills of the modern CTO, and and as usual, we'll work around the room, give some context to those questions, uh, and then all have the opportunity to give your take on it. Esteban, I believe we're starting with you. Um, Questions just come up on the bottom of the screen. So what were the core challenges you faced transitioning into the CTO role and how did you solve them? I'm going to come to you for some context and we'll hand over to Natasha and Thais.
1: Yeah, I think for context things, be, it would be great to explain where were you in your career when you were actually transitioning to the CTO role and also try to explain maybe the size of the organization in which you face these challenges. Because, of course, a company of 50 people or 150 people might really differ in the type of uh, issues
0: that you, you stumble upon with. Excellent. Natasha, I think we're coming to you first on this one.
2: Yeah, um, I think you're totally right. Uh, that uh, where you're, the kind of organization you're in uh, really frames the the complexity that you that you face. Uh, in my case, uh, I, I first became a CTO at KMD, which is, you know, we're around 3,000 people uh, and we have a huge uh, portfolio um, and a lot of different business lines and, and products that's quite different than most other places I've been where you have, you know, one software product or maybe... One main platform and then a little ecosystem around it or 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 something. Um, and I think the the biggest challenge for me because of the the size of the company and the number of solutions is understanding, you know where to prioritize my time uh, and how to add the most value and how do you sort of effectively, do change management in an organization that big because you can't be so hands-on and when your background is of course like mine I have a technical education my background is as a developer um, and a technology director you know you're used to getting in there and and, and doing it yourself and um, yeah I I spent a couple of years as a vice president before becoming CTO so I already had some experience with that sort of stepping stepping out but yeah uh, I think definitely figuring out how to prioritize uh, where and how to add the most value has been the biggest, uh, the biggest challenge for me. Um, But at the same time, I think the biggest thing I've learned, and maybe it's also part of being part of a big company is like this philosophy of push where there's a pull, right? So like if you want to be able to make some sort of improvement or some change or like get something sent off in a new direction or whatever, like you should focus where the right people uh, in the organization you're working with are also looking for that direction or that change or ready for that next step, right? Um, Because there you will have a lot more success and maybe another part that you think needs a lot of attention is not, you know, organizationally it's not there yet. So that sort of push where there is a pull I think is really key um, whenever it's a big uh,
0: organization that's quite mature. Fantastic. Thank you, Natasha and Thijs, for coming over to yourself.
3: Yeah, I'm actually quite the opposite because I used to work in Danske Bank where we were more than 22,000 employees and I was not the CTO there. I was a regular chapter lead and I was used to having hands-on and being into the technical details. And now that I transitioned into Coach Illusion, which is a company with 50 people, or a bit less than 50, then suddenly I'm used to, suddenly I have to do everything myself. I was used to having a lot of support from legal, from communication, from everybody. And right now you have to do, at least in the role I'm in, more of that stuff uh, yourself. And, and that's kind of funny transition for me. Um, also, I had a very good understanding of banking because I've been in Danske Bank for more than 24 years and I didn't know nothing about shipping. So I also have this steep learning curve, not only being the CTO, not having the technical stuff falling back to, but also having to learn a new industry. So a lot of new things have have been happening uh, for me at least. Um, And... and, and trying to, to close this gap uh, by focusing on, on developing more uh, shipping business knowledge and skills, uh, combining it with, with understanding how these technical decisions I now take will affect my company's uh, bottom line. So, so a lot of new things for me and, and, and a lot of, uh, of uh, transitioning I've been facing for, for that one.
2: But isn't Fantastic. one of the big challenges in the transition the fact that like you know our background is very technical, but a CTO position it's a business position, right? And that's exactly. taking a big, big step from exactly. you know where we come from. Yeah, it's a yeah, whole yeah. Shit mindset.
3: Yeah, you're spot on because earlier you could kind of uh, bury yourself in the technical details, and yeah, you know yeah, yeah. right and now
1: a
2: problem, yeah,
3: <laughs> to all the ball game. Yeah, you're absolutely yeah. right.
1: Yeah, normally t- technical challenges are also more deterministic, right? So you know what is result that you expect and you can get it done one way or the other. But with, when you are talking about the business level, there's a lot of things that you are playing with intuition and uh, relationships and connections and, and and people as well, right? So the outcome is not as predictable as it used to be.
2: And then you're trying to also like uh, figure out how to prioritize technical decisions in the context of a business that has to adapt to like you know global uncertainties as we face right now. And uh, I often find that like okay, if I can distill this down to just a technical problem, then it's like it's way more black and white, right? But it's getting to that getting to that point is is like super hard.
1: Yeah. On my case, I think it's, it's similar to you, Ties, but the, the difference is that I'm happy to be working on the same company as I used to work as software engineer and solution architect. So I have the advantage and some sometimes the disadvantage that I know the technical uh, details of the things that are being done within the organization. So of course, that is good because it allows you to move very fast and there's a lot of notions that you already have in place But I also can play against you when you think that you have uh, an opinion as to how things needs to be done. And you need to also learn that there is a team that is fully dedicated to actually solve specific challenges. And it's not your role anymore to actually do that. You can guide and you can help them, you can support them, you can empower them. Uh, You can also spar with them. But ultimately, you need to also let yourself Away from the uh, from the work itself, and make sure that the team can learn by their own mistakes and then get to the place that they need to get, which can be uh, can be easy for some people or hard depending on 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 your characteristics, right? I think I, I for prioritization, I didn't have a lot of issues. I think prioritization is probably the biggest challenges that, that most companies have, uh, hands down. But I think in our case, I felt that. It wasn't a big deal because we were already doing this many years before together, and we have a great process as to how we can do this. It doesn't mean that it's not a challenge and doesn't mean that people are disappointed sometimes, but at least we can take a decision together. I think what I didn't realize how hard it will be when I transition to the role is to actually get the right people in the teams. The amount of time that you spend behind the scenes trying to interview, trying to connect, trying to find the, the right social and technical fit for the specific teams and the domains that they're working with, is has been a great, great challenge. And on top of that, you have rotation and you need to find ways to keep people motivated and find what they're really, really looking for and how they want to grow in the organization. And then I think the other one is how do you translate everything that you do in the technical department at a level where can be compared with all the company value that you're trying to introduce the organization so sometimes you might need to do um, uh, some refactoring so you might need to do some long-term maintenance for a long-term gain and you want to translate that into action numbers which is normally what things have been measured by and that has also been a big challenge especially when you come from a technical place where everyone understands what you're talking about and you move into a more business a uh, business mindset uh, place where things are not so tangible anymore when you try to bring them there yeah
2: yeah i think yeah. like our job is to be the bridge between the technical domain and the business domain and like yeah. that transition i feel like i spend a lot of my time just being a translator like sitting yeah. you know okay let me explain what non-functional scope means and why we need to also consider that whenever we're making a plan um, but I speak a lot of metaphors in my job, yeah. like, you know, it, it, when we talk about, for example, why you have to focus on uh, technical debt and things like that, I speak a lot of metaphors like, okay, imagine you're building a wedding cake. And if you're only focusing all of your time on the part that the customer can see that functionality, then the icing and the decorations and everything will look great. But eventually the cake is going to collapse because like you didn't put the structure, uh, you know, and uh, Yeah. It's, but it's super, super hard, because you're totally right, Esteban, that, you know, you come from an environment where everybody understands, and there's sort of a basic level common of knowledge about how development and delivery is done. And now you need to bridge that with people that, that, that don't have that background, and they see the world in a very different way. They see the world more or less in, 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 in different sets of numbers, uh, and trying to do that translation is, like, I think, a super critical role that we play, but can be really, really challenging.
1: Yeah. Another thing that I was not expecting that you, you mentioned, ties is the, especially in an organization like ours, we are, we are around 45 people, 25 people in the technical department. The amount of work that goes behind the legal aspect of the things that you're trying to achieve and the negotiation associated to that is really exhausting, especially when you, st- you start and you're trying to get new vendors and new partners and whatnot. It takes a, a long time to actually get done that. And if you don't have the right support, then you can spend multiply that by 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 an extra factor of of hours just reading legal documents and trying to understand what this really implies and what's going to happen once you once you sign, sign them. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And and I guess on, on on the other hand, then something I noticed is when I was in, in, in the bank earlier. It was kind. It was not easy to make a quick change. If we had a good idea mm-hmm. at lunch, we couldn't go back and implement it, and it was ready next Monday because then you have to go through compliance and legal and etc. There you have a more flexibility in a small organization because you are kind of in control. So, so there are also some benefits by being small in in compared to, to a big one, I guess. Uh, that in KMD you guys you don't just change something because uh, you get a good idea at lunch
2: no I think we have some of the worst case scenarios in terms of like regulations and compliance but you know it's a it's also a big company so I say it's a we're an organization of, of high latency but high throughput so yeah.
3: <laughs> so so every CTO's journey is, is unique and they will face different challenging depending on on what level and step they are on. Um,
1: I think. Yeah, and uh, just I'm not sure who the audience is right now, but I mean, uh, I long time ago, I read this uh, book, The Manager Manager's Path by uh, Camille Foner. I think it's more on the corporate level. Maybe that's something that relates more to your journey, uh, Natosha, or the level of company that you're working on today, but I think it has a lot of material as well as to what are the What are the things that you're going to stumble upon with and what are the best
0: practices to to tackle them? Fantastic. Thank you, Esteban. Not only for a great question, but by the sounds of it, a great book recommendation too. Um, So I think the next one we're going to move over to Natasha's question. She's already talked about spending time as a translator to the non-technical on the business levels. But her question's focused around as you grow in your career to CTO, you need to stay relevant still. In the technical knowledge and skills, but you can't dedicate or develop at the same rate or level of detail as you had time to before. How do you figure out this balance? And Natasha, I to come to you first for some context.
2: Yeah, I think um, you know, I think I, there's probably good CTOs in 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 some context that come from non you know less technical. Um, backgrounds, but I mean, most CTOs, you know, we come from from very technical backgrounds our, ourselves, and um, I think also, you know, as a CTO, right, you're sort of a, a I don't know if role model is the right word, but but you're you're a leader in the top part of the organization that all of the technical organization identifies with, right? And technical people, they. I think kind of see through uh, when they when they don't feel like um, the, the person that they're supposed to be sort of seeing as a leader can can walk the talk like you need to have been there and you need to ha- come from that background yourself and you need to have the record of uh, showing that you have sort of the technical skills. And uh, that comes from, yeah, having done it yourself and worked, um, you know, work yourself actually on 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 developing solutions and delivering them and and when that's your job you can spend a lot of time of course that's you stay up to date because you have to as part of your job but when you move into the cto roles we talked about it's a business position but at the same time you still need to stay up to date with what happens on the technology landscape both because um you need to be able to figure out at least strategically, what are some of the key decisions your your organization needs to take, right? And technology changes so fast. But at the same time, you also need to keep your knowledge and your skills at a level to where you can actually um, sort of spar with and, and 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 actually work with the people in the organization. But, you know, we don't have time in our day jobs to Write code and do POCs and things like that, at least not anywhere near to the degree that was possible before. And so, I'm curious, like how you guys manage to um, both sort of find the right balance, maybe prioritize um, what you do and what you don't spend your time on. And especially if you, you know. Um, none of us there are that old right so I think that the first years as a CTO it's like it's not so bad because you you're not your technical knowledge is not going to be so out of date right but you can risk some years in the future that you still see the world sort of as with the technology landscape that is becoming quite outdated and I think we've all worked with those sorts of people as well right so like I'm just curious to hear you guys' thoughts on that
3: yeah, I can I can go go first. Uh, first of all, I think it's a great question because it really hits uh, the nerve where I am. Because the finding out the right balance on on uh, tech knowledge and skills is uh, was very hard in the beginning and, and still is for me because it's what I was good to, uh, good at before, and now I have to leave it a bit behind, right? And and start looking into something else. So so I must admit, I think it's hard finding the right balance. But I think after reflecting it over it a bit, I think it's it's very important to stay updated with the latest technology trends, because otherwise you don't make the right decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also you have to manage your team and develop these new technology solutions. I think it's important that you, that you kind of keep your finger on the pulse and, 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 and hear what's going on. Uh, out there. And, and, and so, so dedicate time to, to learn about the latest technology trends and also actually about the industry you're in. I mentioned in, uh, in the beginning about this uh, shipping industry. I, I also have to learn a bit about that as well. I think a CTO is also a business uh, role, so, so there's no way around it. What I've done is I've tried to delegate some of the tasks to uh, to my teams based on their strength and experience, um, just to get mm-hmm. them uh, onboarded uh, as well, empower them. Uh, I try to attend to conferences, I, I actually have a conference next week with some cyber security uh, in Copenhagen, just to, to, you know, get some more knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to read some blogs, uh, I try to network, finding other CTOs with the same company size as as the one we have, just to be inspired, and now I've written down uh, Esteban's name, because they are the same size as us, so maybe one more in on my network to to, uh, to talk to. So, so I think it's a great question, and I don't have the, the answer right off the bat. Um, but, um, but but in the lines of, of what I mentioned, I think that's, that's the way to go, at least for me. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. So so for me, there is the is two, two sides of the, the same coin, in a way. So on one side, you have the, the balance. What are the things that you care about, that you want to learn and make sure that you, you keep track of? And then the other one is, how do you find try, time to actually get that done or be able to involve yourself in that? So on the balance side especially within the organization uh, and what's happening in the organization on the technical side normally i try to be involved on things that are having a high impact or they are very difficult to change so for example if you ask the question how hard will it will it be to change this decision in the future if the answer is very hard that's normally where i try to be involved and i try to be involved as a stakeholder in the technical strategy Or maybe it's a refinement meeting maybe it's a design core architecture meeting or something like that where i can provide my input but at the same time i'm able to hear what people are brainstorming about what they're deciding on and that becomes now more of the knowledge that i have about the organization and the the underlying technology and then of course for keeping up with trends there is a lot of companies that are doing that for for us that is actually providing a very condensed way to 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 get it for example Uh, ThoughtWorks, which is uh, a huge uh, consultancy company that has been behind a lot of the patterns and and, and, and concepts and techniques that we use today, like microservices and domain-driven design and the like. Uh, They do this uh, technology radar every quarter, I think, where they're basically providing some insights as to what is happening, what are the things that you should adopt, what are the things that you should be investigating, and things like that. And then in terms of finding the time, I think uh, it's a lot about productivity. So uh, finding ways to capture and organize the information uh, so you can consult that or look at the to-do list, whatever makes sense for you. Use methodologies like a or something that makes you more efficient uh, in in the way that you, you execute, and also prioritization, right? So once I know all the things that I need to do that are related to this, then how do I prioritize them? What is the things that I cannot live without in the next you know week or two weeks and try to focus on that
0: hmm.
2: but do you think that just keeping up with trends alone is is enough i mean we we no. do this as well, even even at kmd because we're also so big and, and, we, and we work across uh, these these different industries you know we actually have our own uh, technology and innovation map. That's like, okay, these are the five sort of technology trends we believe are going to be most relevant for these highly regulated sectors that we, that we uh, work with and, and we map technologies on them and stuff, but it's more like the, you know, you're faced to to sort of drive a technology strategy or, or ultimately maybe to have to take key technical decisions with technologies that perhaps you haven't had the chance to actually use and like, I find that, like I said, I I I've only been CTO for a year, and so I don't I'm not so insecure right now because my knowledge is not very out of date. But I'm more thinking some years in the future, whenever I've been hands off for longer, I wonder how that is going to go.
1: Well, I think I think that obviously uh, in the size of the organization where I work, I get the time also to prototype on some things that we discuss, right? I'm also, I also get the time, actually, I'm, I'm tracking everything I can see. I'm spending 3 to 5% of my time on reviewing code or actually building some code, deploying some code, and helping the teams. Uh, but I think as you grow in the organization, and that's regardless of whether this company is small or, or big, you're also having some sort of depersonal, depersonalized decision-making where you have people with clear roles and responsibilities that are helping everyone as a, as a team, to actually take these decisions. So what I feel comfortable about is that we have the right people in place to actually spar against each other, to brainstorm together and come up with the best solution. And what I'm doing on my side is basically trying to provide some sort of technical vision or guidance as to what is the direction that we want to take. And I guess that the more you move into a higher or bigger organization the more disassociated you are about the details maybe a cto will just do a balance sheet and you know structure things on a very high level and try to translate the company strategy into a technical strategy with not a lot of details i guess
2: Hmm. i think this like phenomenon of trying to sort of work maybe work through through other people that are hands-on is probably a big um key. I know at KMD, for example, one of the things that I have a pretty strong opinion about is um, about having a a true multi-cloud strategy rather than being very, very um, specific to a particular like uh, cloud uh, platform or or a a vendor. And it's because of, you know, what Tyce pointed out, these these very highly regulated sectors, right? There's a lot of requirements that you have to meet. And also when you make solutions that live for a long long time in the future we don't know from a legal perspective what is going to happen in terms of court rulings and what you can and can't do from like data privacy or other regulatory um effects so i think from a a a sort of protecting the business perspective i believe that having a true multi-cloud strategy is important but like i can't have The level of detail of knowledge on okay, but then what is the right reference architecture for how we should build how how KMD should build a hybrid cloud solution? But I have to trust that there are people who actually can do that, and I have enough background and knowledge to to challenge them and spar with them. But yeah, maybe it's a bit also on the as part of the leadership journey that you're sort of letting go right because as you as you move up you have to you have to let go some of the some of the the lower level technical decisions. Um, But I guess it's always going to be a bit of a balance. Yeah, and, and, and
3: maybe I want to add as well that uh, Esteban, I'm a bit a uh, bit surprised, positive that 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 you do code review because I don't do that at all. Um so so that makes me think that maybe I'm getting too quickly away from the technical side and too much into the management or C level side. And that I really didn't thought about before. So so how do you how do how do you figure out? which code to review and
1: when yeah i just want to clarify that i am a very special case because i worked for four years building the code that we have in the platform so of course that gives me another foundation as to how do i tackle this but mostly today i'm working closely with the teams on those decisions that are very hard to change and normally they will ask me for uh, for review just to have yet another level of approval before they actually pull the plug and say, okay, this is the way that we go. Uh, Or sometimes they might have a very technical challenge that they just want to spar someone with. And at the same time, I do enjoy doing this. So of course, I will take it. I think that maybe another CTO that doesn't have the background that I have in the organization will definitely not be doing this. But I I do like to be part of some of the POCs and make sure that I get to get my hands on the code so i also keep myself i don't want to say sharp because i'm probably the worst developer ever by now with with all the things that i'm doing on the side but i think that at least to get in touch with the design patterns with the with the the ways of working that they have today because also when you're trying to help people improve you understand some of the details behind the scenes not too much but enough so you can actually have a conversation and take a decision together with the team. Yeah makes sense.
2: But if it doesn't fit also like in your day job to be involved in the code in some organizations like, it just wouldn't because of the way the organization is or I don't know, whatever else. I mean, you can always like open source is also a way to, to sort of stay active in the developer community and keep the, the 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 blade sharp, so to speak, but maybe a bit separate from what the day job is like. I've uh, contributed to, to a lot of open source, like over the course of my career. And, um, you know, some of the projects I still follow and I still look at, you know, the um, uh, uh, the, the the patches that come in and stuff like that just to sort of stay in that kind of mindset um, and I don't know how long that will last uh, but at least I think that's just that that's also kind of a good way I think to keep the blade sharp if it doesn't really fit in the in the day-to-day job
0: excellent excellent question Natasha and great point to finish on as well I think uh, staying sharp through open source now next question ties um, i think we've we've made it very clear throughout this that everyone in in the conversation today has come from a technical background um, and ties wants to know is how did you develop your leadership skills and, and learn how to manage people and, and projects effectively ties as as with all the other questions so like a bit of context from yourself before we hand over to esteban and natasha yeah, and maybe I don't have
3: that much context to give. I mean, developing the leadership skills and managing people and projects effectively is, is very critical for, for any CTO. And and it's not something that you just excel in overnight. So I was kind of interested in, do we have a game plan? How, how do you go about this? What are you, uh, yeah, how did you do it?
1: All right, so I think in terms of developing the skills, I actually learned a little bit by year and also reading literature and seeing what works and, and doesn't. And I think by now what is clear to me and I'm still in the journey right so I'm not saying that this is the uh, the golden path I have to do that. But what is clear to me is that I, I'm trying to remove myself as much as I can as a dependency of the output to make sure that the teams are more self-organized. And what that means is that, you know, they have everything they need to actually be able to take their own decisions and move quite well. And then if you have a transparent process where it's very clear when things are working and not, so you can actually take an active decision to to say, okay, let's try to fix it, to improve this. And if you depersonalize decision making, meaning that you have frameworks as to how you want to take decisions, uh, that allows you to then analyze trade-offs and find the base solution based on that then I think that you have a very good environment that it doesn't mean that this doesn't have any issues, but if there is any issues, they will understand that there is an issue by themselves and they will work on that by themselves without anyone having to say so. Now, it doesn't mean that it always works and that's mean that it's perfect. I mean, we we are all you know humans. We, we, we are dealing with people all the time and it's not always going to work as expected. But I think that, that that really goes a a long way to make sure that uh, you you are able to manage people effectively and i think the last but not least you also need some sort of environment of, of trust where people can make mistakes and not feel that they're going to be punished quote unquote because of that and if you add some constant and constructive feedback as to how things are going i see that then People found their own way and they're starting growing in the organization and into their, you know, uh, best best capacity uh, along the way, right? So it's all about the, I think, environment that you create and how you allow that environment to basically evolve. Yeah.
2: Yeah. um, I can say for me, I don't really have a very elegant answer because I think a lot of my career and my journey has been largely me following my instincts. And at some point, I sort of became, I realized that the the biggest problems are not actually the technical problem. Okay, there are some technical problems that are really big. But in general, the biggest problems are, are not the technical problems. It's problems in sort of the teams and the organization that is solving the technical problems. And I became interested in how to, like, make that work. Um, and that I think was sort of the, the journey into leadership, um, for me. And I think also this, uh, I'm not a very patient person. And so the idea that, Hey, I, um, by trying to make this group of people work together towards this common goal, then like we can, I, I, I can do way more than I would be able to do like on my own. And so I think trying to develop the skills and the mindset that's about like, mm, it's not, about me and like my impact it's about making the team be able to be more effective or solve a problem that I wouldn't be able to solve on my own either because I'm one person or I don't have the right knowledge or the right skills or experience. Um, So I think sort of trying to keep that service-minded leadership in the in in the background and always trying to remember like you know because I have a lot of experience being a developer like how would I want to be communicated to in this situation how would i want to be treated in this uh, in this situation and then um as i sort of grew into you know the organization that i was in grew bigger and i moved into a bigger organization i think um you have to focus a lot on the 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 leadership skill is one thing but i think like stakeholder management and communication is really really key Um, Because I think one big challenge that people often make that, or one big, yeah, challenge that people often face, and if they don't figure out how to solve it, it it makes them be sort of perceived as a as a poor leader, is that they forget that communicating is should be done in the context of the person that you're talking to and 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 what is relevant for them and not necessarily what is relevant for you, right? and I think that's really, really key also to being able to lead as a technical person in a business role like we are um, as, uh, as CTOs. So, I mean, for me, a lot of it has been just, it's been very, very sort of instinctual and uh, trying different things and seeing what what works and what doesn't work and having to always go back to like, okay, I'm not, uh, I'm not figuring out how to solve this problem or this situation very well, or I'm not figuring out how to get through to this person, like how, you know, how, how, do, how do I get through and, 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 and remembering like, yeah, mm, how, how would they, I try very hard to remember how would I want to be treated if I were on sitting on the other side of the table. And then, yeah, how can I communicate things in a way that, yeah, we'll, we'll get through to them. And I think if you can sort of solve those sorts of things and then you have good instincts and you're motivated to, to to do the right thing then you will naturally come out as like a good leader because people will believe in you they will have a lot of trust in you um and then i think like managing projects uh, i don't know uh big projects almost always seem to be extremely challenging but i'm really into um being agile not like like in the textbook like okay you need to do scrum but this this philosophy of like remembering that it's about that there's a problem. How can we distill this problem down into something where a solution will give value and how can we iterate on that? Like you can sort of apply that um, to all sorts of situations and that sort of inherently removes risk. Um, Of course, that's a big challenge when you work in a big company and you have enormous projects and stuff like that. But I think trying to be truly agile and sort of how we attack problems is the best way to remove the risk uh, out of them. But yeah, I don't, effectively, I don't know. I'm not sure anybody's really cracked that. <laughs> I,
3: I like that you began saying that trust your gut is, is the game plan because I th- actually think I, there's a lot of truth to it because you don't have a book saying uh, this is how to do as a CTO, right? You you are different situations for different people and you have to trust your instincts. So, so I really like that one especially coming from you and the size that, that the company you work in uh, it's it's nice to hear that you don't have the answers to everything
2: no I think I always say um, to you know the guys on, on on my team and people that I that I, they work with it's like they're they' the hardest thing about this job I feel at the end of the day is that there's no one that tells you how to do it you have to yeah. figure it out for yourself um, and at the same time you know, as a CTO, you probably report to the CEO. So you're an advisor for him or her as well. No. Uh, so it's like, you, 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 you don't really have guidance coming from any direction, um, no. but at some point I sort of realized, you know, my instincts got me this far. I'm just gonna keep following them. Uh, so my career advice has always been like, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm on the no plan plan, you could say <laughs> from a <laughs> career perspective, <laughs> I try to follow like, where do I think that I can add value? Um, where can I make things better uh, and, uh, and, and what do I think is interesting? And then you have to follow your instincts, I think.
3: Yeah. Well, well, for my part, um, as you know, I was a manager before uh, and, and I kind of think I had it a bit under control with the leadership part. Uh, what I think is hard is the strategy level of the CTO it's like you know if you listen to a quiz on the radio or the TV and you sit there with your coffee and you have all the answers but then suddenly you are on the spot in the quiz show and you uh, don't know what to say right it's kind of the same with this CTO role that suddenly you're it you're on the spot you don't have anybody you report to you have the CEO but as as you said Matsa's CEO is 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 not that technical and you're more an, an advisor So he or she will listen to you. So you are the one taking the decisions. And that I find a a bit hard and something to to work with uh, on on the strategic level. Um, What I've done is I've uh, tried to learn from the different managers and leaders I've had for the past 25 years. And then I've taken some of the stuff for each of them that I think is good and trying to incorporate in myself. And maybe that's what becoming my gut feeling at least that's uh, that, that's uh, that's how I have uh, developed. But uh, but good reflections from from both of
1: you. Yeah, and by the way, one comment there. If if you want to hear more about how to manage projects effectively, there is a podcast called uh, "How to Build Effective Teams" uh, by uh, by uh, Evolution as well that you can listen to. There
0: is. I believe you're on that one. Esteban, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. But it is a great listen. Uh, I must admit, um, ties. Thank you again for three out of three in terms of fantastic questions. We've had some questions coming in uh, from the people listening. Uh, I'd like to start with uh, the one put forward by Elena here. I'll put it on this, oh, put it on. That's not the right one. Put it on the screen now. Um, she wants to know what's the biggest misconception about the CTO role. Um, Let's start with Natasha and we'll work our way around the room.
2: Oh man. Um, I think, uh, the biggest misconception about the CTO role is that people believe that the CTO is the best developer in every organization they've ever worked with. Um, like, you, you you probably should have been a developer or come from some technical background, but like I think, as we talked about many times, right? The CTO position is a business position, so like you don't necessarily need to have the best, um, you know, skills in terms of like I don't know, um, optimizing code or something like that to be a good CTO. But I think many people often think that. You know, to be a CTO, that well, that that was the best developer in the organization that they that they worked with, and it's a it's a it's a different skill set. You need to come from a technical background, but it's a whole nother set of skills that honestly many 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 programmers like don't naturally have. And so yeah, I would say that's probably it. But also like the perceptions about a CTO are probably pretty different depending if you're a CTO in a very big company or a very small company as well. Um, I'm one in quite a large organization, so I'll let the other guys um, see what how they see it from, from from maybe some smaller organizations.
0: Yeah, well, Esteban, I'll come to you next. Obviously, you've been a CTO for for a while now, and, and been in this company previously, moving into that role. What what was the that biggest misconception, I suppose? Uh,
1: I have to be honest. I'm completely blank right now as to what is the biggest misconception. I was trying to go through uh, through through my experience and try to uh, figure out what it could be. Um, but I think I agree with Natasha. I think I also see that there is like, I think that there is a bigger element of understanding business value and domain and product than actually technology. And don't get me wrong. I think that you need to have a good technological background to get where you are, but once you're there, you're spending a lot of time trying to understand what makes sense on an organizational level for the business, and then how that translates into technology strategy. Um, and I, I think that was that was kind of a shocker as well to to realize that that was the case. Not 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 in a bad way uh, because I really enjoy it, but I think that is also the case that we spend much more time understanding how to deliver value for the business than how to elegantly uh, build the technology behind the company. Yeah.
0: Excellent. And then last but definitely not least, Thijs, moving into this role in the last five or six months, what, what, what has really shocked you? Well, I think not having,
3: not having all the answers, uh, that's uh, an important part of, uh, of the CTO role. It's okay that you don't know everything. It's important that you surround yourself with people you trust and you delegate your uh, questions and concerns to them and get some help. I also think that a misconception about the CTO role is, at, at least for, for my part, I don't know everything. I I'm, I'm, You cannot ask me something and I know exactly what way to go. Uh, we are not IT uh, Jedi or so anything <laughs> like that. Uh, at least I, I'm not. Um, so so just being transparent and, and open about uh, whatever issues you are trying to solve and, and listen to uh, to other people as well. Um, and the last thing is that the CTO must have much more business knowledge than I at least anticipated before starting. Um, I had a vision that a CTO was only on the technical side but I think it's at least 5050. For business and technical side at least uh, in the role i'm in
2: that was a huge shock and i don't know about a shocker but that was one of the biggest things for me as well I, but it, it didn't happen when i became CTO. it happened when i when i became a vice president but i think there's a point where you get to where you realize crap everybody at my level went to business school and hasn't been a MBA except for me and then you know i remember in the beginning i was thinking like okay, I don't really know how to read the details of a balance sheet and all of this. And I feel really, really stupid. Uh, And so, yeah, I actually had to take a number of business courses to sort of close that gap. But I was really like, I was really cognizant of this fact that being a technical person at the executive level was actually like my core value. Like I saw the world differently than everyone else who went to business school. And so I didn't want to lose that. So I was like, okay, I need to I need to take enough courses and close enough of that gap to, to to solve the problem and make sure that I can speak their language and I can I can do my job effectively, but I don't want to go so far that I like lose who I am, but I, I didn't predict that either.
3: No, and don't worry, they don't know what dependency injection and stuff like that is. So
0: I no. guess that both sides don't know about each other, right?
3: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Excellent, uh, thank you for that question, Elena, if you're listening still. And the next one question I've got is is from Sean. Uh, I think we've touched on a bit of it. So I'm going to take kind of one part of that question. So what are some strategies? We've talked about leading high-performing technology teams, but actually building them as well. Um, I would like to focus on that side of things and how do a CTO foster a culture of innovation and collaboration through building that or putting the building blocks in place for that team? Uh, Tiz, we'll come to you first with this one um, and then work our way around the room.
3: Yeah, it's also a great question. I think uh, I think if you set clear expectations for for your teams, then you uh, you uh, you at least make sure that your team members understand what's expected of them. Um, also in terms of, of performance, so set clear goals and objectives uh, for them is is important. And then I really like uh, providing feedback to them. I also think it's important to to build high performance uh, tech teams is give them feedback. Don't wait to, you know, you have these performance review sessions to give them feedback, give them to them every day. I think that's important. At least I would love to get some feedback from, well, my CEO, if, 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 if he could give me some of the technical parts, so, so give feedback and then use a uh, structured approach to do it. Um, maybe uh, reviewing the performance uh, goals, um, discuss areas to improve, be honest, be transparent, and and uh, last but not least, focus on the strength of the employees. Um, we all, we always have a tendency to to maybe focus on what they can do better, but also focus on their strength. And uh, I think that's where, at least I see, the uh, the high-performing teams are really uh, really
0: rising on that one. Excellent. And Esteban, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah,
1: I, I completely agree with uh, with Thais. I think you need to have uh, clear goals and a, and a strategy for for the year, two years, whatever that is. So people know what is expected from them and what you're trying to. Uh, uh, what is the outcome that is expected from, from the iterations that we're going to do along the way. But I think it's also important to have the, the right environment, as I explained before. I think if I had to choose one or two items that I mentioned before, is uh, the, to have these uh, self-organized teams and make sure that they, are, uh, they have some sort of independence as to how they work and how, how they, they prefer to do the work because that will allow them to then be as efficient and effective as possible within the boundaries of the organisation of course and then i think making sure that things are transparent things are easy to uh, to to see to see where are we in the plan what is left to be done uh, who are involved in this and what is the things that we can do to actually improve that along the way i think uh, it works very well then in terms of uh, feedback i think it's essential that you have regular one-on-ones, maybe every, every month, just to catch up with people, see where they are, uh, see what they're struggling with. And I agree with you, Thais, as well, that you need to focus on what are the key strengths of each individual. I think, obviously, you will like some sort of uh, outcome of their work uh, in within the team, but I think there's also ways to find, to elevate people in different, in different ways To actually become better and at the same time, make the overall team much better as well.
2: Yeah, um, I think people who, yeah, people that I work with know one of the things I always say is that if you're a technology company in general, your commercial decisions need to be made with sort of an understanding of of maybe not the technology itself, but at least the development and the delivery process. but that your technological decision should be made with a, a commercial mindset, and I think kind of a key to like high-performing technology teams in a business context is I think to teach this culture of pragmatism, right? Um, and software development is super cool because unlike uh, other forms of engineering, it's very much a blend between science and art. Um, but sometimes, from a, a purist perspective, we can get To into the artistic part of it, and one, you know, there's always a way that you can make it better. You can always do more gold plating, et cetera, right? But uh, I think a a high-performing team in a business context is one that um, has a, you know, makes the right technical decisions, but is also pragmatic about the implementation. um, Because um, some of the best people from a technology standpoint can be the people who. Have also a tendency to let um, perfect get in the way of good enough, right? And you need to find the right, the right, the right balance. Um, so I think trying to focus on that sort of culture and creating that mindset is is key. But at the same time, you don't want to kill, of course, at all the the the, the creativity um, and the innovation and whatnot. So you need to create a space for that. And, but also with this uh, sort of uh, culture that you you need to try things you also need to fail fast um and we need to be transparent about what we try and what doesn't work and learning from our mistakes uh, so i think trying to create that sort of environment is is how to make a team very um, like high performing and then i think of course all of the things that um, that you and you Esteban mentioned um, in terms of how to actually lead the people the focusing on the strengths also i think is a key one because You know, those of us with a technical background, if you have an engineering mindset, you're 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 probably a problem oriented person because problems are interesting and therefore we have a tendency often to hyper focus on what could be better or what should still be improved because the stuff that works that should just go without saying. But at the same time, like we're not managing robots, we're managing people and we need to really focus on the strengths and also all of the positive um, the positive feedback and also how to leverage the strengths of people in the best way. How can we get them working together to where maybe that person's strength might make up for that person's weakness uh, so that the team to together is, is stronger.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Natasha. And thank you for that question, Sean. I think for today, I think we'll leave it there. At the- We've had three fantastic questions uh, from, from the individuals on the podcast and two fantastic questions. Um, we've got Christopher Bennett's question as well. Um, what I'll do is I'll make sure that gets addressed um, and we can get the question and the answer, should I say, out with the podcast when it's released on on all the, the, the local podcast channels. So, yeah, this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I want to take this opportunity to give a massive thanks to Ty's Esteban and Natasha for coming on and taking their um very busy schedule and to to come out and speak with us if you'd like to get involved with one of the upcoming podcasts you can reach out to me on linkedin or email email at sam.williamson at evolution or slash nordics.com see you next time thanks guys